Heavenly Father, I just thank you and praise you. Lord, I pray that your word would go forth with power and anointing and it would not return void, but it would accomplish what you desire. I pray for comprehension and understanding. And Lord, just for your Holy Spirit to have free reign. Minister to every heart and every need, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wanted to share this story uh, about Billy Graham that actually Dan Barber gave to me, and I really, really liked it. It said, uh, in January of 2000, the leaders in Charlotte, North Carolina, invited their favorite son, Billy Graham, uh, who was, is now 90 years old, to a luncheon in his honor. I think he's 92 now. Billy uh, initially hesitated to accept the invitation because he's dealing with Parkinson's disease, and he really struggles with that. But they assured him that they didn't expect any great speech. They just wanted to honor him. And um, so he agreed, and he decided he would come. And after wonderful things were said about him, Dr. Graham um, stepped up to the podium, and he, he uh, looked at the crowd, and he shared this story. He said, I'm reminded today of Albert Einstein, the great physicist who this month has been honored by Time magazine as the man of the century. Einstein was once traveling from Princeton on a train when the conductor came down the aisle to collect his ticket punching the tickets of every passenger. And when he came to Einstein, Einstein reached into his vest pocket, um, but he couldn't find his ticket. It wasn't there, and so he kept looking and fussing and checking all his pockets and everything, and he just couldn't find it. And uh, then he started looking in the seat beside him, and the conductor said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are. So I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't even worry about it. And he continued on to punch tickets. And as he's walking down the aisle of the train, punching tickets, he looks back, and here's Dr. Einstein, now on his hands and knees, panicked, looking for this ticket. And so he goes back to him, and he says, Dr. Einstein, don't worry. I, I know who you are. It's not a problem. And he said, uh, you don't need a ticket. I'm sure you bought one. Einstein looked at him and said, young man, I know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. Ever meet someone who's brilliant and they, the common things in life escape them? I'm, I once knew a brilliant surgeon and he came back on the floor and he was searching all through the rooms and I went up to him and I said, hey doc, what's, what are you looking for? What did you lose? He said, my glasses, I left them somewhere. I smiled, he said, do you know where they are? I said, I do. And he went, ah! Oh. He'd been looking for about 15 minutes all over the floor because he'd lost his glasses. So having said that, Billy Graham continued, see the suit I'm wearing? It's a brand new suit. My children and my grandchildren, they told me I've been getting a little slovenly in my old age. And he said, I used to be more fastidious. And so I went out and bought a new suit for this luncheon and one more occasion. You know what that occasion is? This is the suit in which I will be buried. But when you hear I'm dead, I don't want you to immediately remember the suit that I'm wearing. I want you to remember this. I not only know who I am, but I know where I'm going. And then he said, life without God is like an unsharpened pencil. It has no point. So this morning, I want us to think about do we know where we're going? Now, 
we started to teach on some of the Jewish traditions because these are the high holy days of the Jewish year. And tomorrow is the first day of the new year of, in the Jewish calendar. In Leviticus 23, 1 and 2 and 4, in the New King James Version, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to, to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim for the holy uh, convocations, they are my feasts. These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. Now, convocation in the Hebrew means something called out, but it also means a rehearsal. What do we use rehearsals for? To get it right, for, for practice, right? So that we prepare for the real thing, right? Now, there are three feast seasons. This is just a real brief overview so you kind of understand. There are seven feasts that the Lord said he wanted observed every year, but they kind of fall into three feast seasons, okay? Each season has a specific purpose, and we've been talking about being in the right place at the right time and positioning ourselves so we are positioned to get the fullness of God's blessings, right? So the first season is called the Passover season. It has three feasts associated with it. They are Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. And we're not going to spend time talking about those today. But their purpose is to teach us how to find and enter God's true rest. And this is the season that we celebrate his redemption, because all of those have to do with his redemption. And the Feast of Weeks occurs 50 days later. Its purpose is to teach us how to receive and live in God's supernatural power. And that is when we celebrate his provision. Feast of Weeks is also known as Pentecost. What happened at Pentecost? We got the Holy Spirit, right? Then there's the tabernacle season, which has three feasts previously mentioned. So there's three feasts, one feast, three feasts. See how that's kind of, they're grouped into three categories. And the tabernacle season, uh, it's the season we are currently in, and its purpose is to teach us how to enter God's protection and we celebrate entering his glory. Well, that's a pretty important time, isn't it? Um, it comes in the fall. It starts with the first day of the month of Tishri, which is that part of the Hebrew calendar. And I, I need to correct something I said before. From looking at calendars, I said, I knew that the Jewish calendar went by the full moon. It goes by a lunar cycle. But the Gregorian or the Julian or the Roman calendar goes by a solar calendar. And so one of the things I didn't, I don't think I put it in my notes, but that I've learned, because most of the months of the Jewish calendar are only 29 days, so I'm thinking, well, how does that add up? And it doesn't. So they go on a 19-year cycle. Because the feasts were so important, they were not to change. Like, do we celebrate Christmas on different days? We pick a certain day, and that's when we celebrate it. The calendar doesn't push it back further and further and further. Well, there were certain times that God wanted that time period preserved for those feasts. So in order to do that, what they do is they have a 19-year cycle, and they have, I can't remember all of it, but they have about five or six leap years during that time. And that's how they make up for the extra days, because there's a difference of about nine or ten days between the Jewish calendar and the Gregorian calendar that we live by. Okay? 
So even though we're, gonna, we're halfway in the month of September, tomorrow, the month of Tishri starts. This is the last day of the month of Elul. Remember we talked about that a few weeks back. This is the king is in the field month. And so, but tomorrow, actually tonight at sundown, it kicks off this whole high holy day period, which we're going to talk about. Um, well, we're going to mainly talk about Feast of Trumpets today. Uh, its purpose is to teach us how to enter God's protection and celebrate entering his glory. And so we are currently in this feast season. There are three feasts in this season. The Feast of Trumpets, which starts at sundown tonight, ends at sundown tomorrow. Or it's also called Rosh Hashanah. Anybody ever heard of that? It's also called, Rosh Hashanah actually means head of the year because it's the head of the new year. Tomorrow is the Jewish New Year, or tonight. Um, it's also known as the birthday of the world and the anniversary of creation. Jewish, ancient Jewish scholars believe that this is the time period that God created the world, um, which starts at, so it starts at uh, sundown tonight. During Rosh Hashanah services, the ram's horn was blown a hundred times. Now, Rosh Hashanah, whenever it hits, that's like, you know how people sometimes come to a Christmas service or a Christmas Eve service, even no matter what day of the week it's on. Rosh Hashanah is that kind of thing. Yom Kippur, which is Day of Atonement, uh, the same kind of thing. Even Jews who don't go to synagogue all year will come to um, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur services. Okay? And those are only 10 days apart. So the second feast that's in this season is the Day of Atonement, or known as Yom Kippur, or known as Judgment Day. Remember, the month of Elul was the preparation for repentance. And then Rosh Hashanah, that's the, the trumpets. The trumpet was blown at the beginning of each month once. But Rosh Hashanah, as, as a, a prelude to what was coming of this high holy day right now. But on Rosh Hashanah, it was blown a hundred times because it was your call to repentance. And it was followed by 10 days of awe, it's called. And that was a period of repentance, and we'll talk about that a little more in a few minutes. And then, 10 days after Rosh Hashanah is the Day of Atonement. Now, this was the time of year that people repented. Remember, I talked about them getting forgiveness in place and trying to clean up their lives because they believed that on Rosh Hashanah, that was the reminder that 10 days from now, God's going to open his book of life and he's going to decide if he's renewing your contract for the next year. And so you want, you, they wanted to be put in that blessing. So they were going to be judged on that day. Now, what is that a rehearsal for? For the final judgment day, isn't it? Okay. So Feast of Tabernacles is the third feast that's in this period of time. Uh, it happens a few days after the Day of Atonement. Uh, it's also called Sukkot, or Feast of Booths, or Feast of the Nations, or our Season of Joy. Whereas Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are very solemn feasts, all the other feasts are wild, joyous occasions. And Feast of Tabernacles is that. It was a celebration of harvest, um, but it was also a celebration of God's blessing and his hand on you. And that's going to begin Sunday, September 30th in the evening, and it lasts for seven days. The purpose of all these feasts, for all seven of these feasts, was to remind the children of Israel and their descendants to honor God and 
uh, to thank him for what he had done in their lives. And each feast points to the Messiah in some way. So today we're going to be talking about Feast of Trumpets. And while I'm gone, I've been talking to Renee, and she is going to teach on the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles so that you'll have that full concept because this is an important time. So here's a little bit of history. Now, I've, I've read several books and visited several websites. And some of my information is coming from Seven Blessings of Atonement by Steve Muncy and also uh, The Messianic Church Arising by Dr. Robert Heidler. Now, the feast um, continued to be celebrated by the early church until around 325 A.D. So about 300 years or so past Christ's death, they were celebrated. But when Constantine became the Roman emperor, emperor, he was converted to Christianity. Good thing, right? And it was a good thing. He took it easier on Christians. But he also changed some things, and not everything he did was great. Um, he decided to unite many Christian groups and incorporate some Roman t traditions and dates, because that made more sense to his Roman mind, right? And it was he who set December 25th as the celebration of Jesus' birth. And from this other web website uh, by Samuel Bacciocchi, it says, comparing scriptures and history, it appears that Jesus, the Messiah, at his first coming, um, was born, let me make sure I didn't have page three set, yeah, um, was born during the fall holy day period. So it's believed that Jesus was born sometime right in this period that we're about to enter right now. That's really the time that he was born. Um, and I'll share how they figured that out here in a minute. Uh, just as the tabernacles or tents represented temporary dwelling places, because that's the Feast of Tabernacles that is coming, okay? The Messiah was made manifest in a temporary dwelling in, in an earthly body as he came to tabernacle among us, right? The symbolism of tabernacles may be ultimately be fulfilled in his second coming when he will once again tabernacle among men this time as the king of kings and the lord of lords, the mighty ruler, and finally providing a millennial rest for all mankind and for the earth. Now, how many remember Zacharias? He was the priest, and he was the father of John the Baptist, remember? And they were elderly, and they were barren, and they didn't have a child, and then um, God told him they were going to have a child, and he was, uh, he was serving in the temple. So Zacharias of the course of Abijah, that's of the, of the priestly, the priestly tribes were divided into groups. And then they were assigned usually two weeks of duty at the temple uh, when their group came forward. And when their group came forward, then lots were drawn to see who would go into the Holy of Holies to do that offering, okay? So his group comes up, and of his group, his lot is drawn. Because, you know, some priests might serve their whole lifetime and never enter the Holy of Holies. So it was a real honor. So he goes in there. That's when God speaks to him. He comes out. He can't speak, remember? He can't tell anybody. And um, so they know from looking at that that he was, it was the ninth week in his assigned course and the tenth week in the Pentecost course. This period ran from, and it's Jewish calendar dates, but basically from June 3rd through June 17th, according to the Julian or Gregorian calendar. He probably returned home shortly after that, and Elizabeth probably conceived in that following two-week period. From that, um, 
which would be sometime between June 18th and July 1st. From that, they figure out when six months of her pregnancy will be, because from Scripture we know that Mary conceived in Elizabeth six months. When she went to visit her, she was already pregnant, just barely. Okay, so, um, so they're figuring Mary probably got pregnant by the Holy Spirit sometime in December. And uh, from that, they calculate that John the Baptist was born in the spring, so he was probably born between March 18th and the 31st in the year 4 B.C., and that's when Jesus was born in the year 4 B.C. too. Okay? But then they're calculating his birth out to be somewhere between September 16th and the 29th. And it's interesting, sidelight, that Tishri, the first day of Tishri, the Feast of Trumpets, is one of the two middle days of this time period. Like tomorrow, September 16th, this year, is Rosh Hashanah. Okay? So they believe that Jesus was probably born sometime during this um, high holy days. And doesn't that make sense? Because God could pick any time. But what I want you to see, and as you start reading your Bible with these things in mind, you're going to see that God completely keeps repeating a pattern around these feasts that he established. So it makes sense that the King of Kings would come on the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, at a time of repentance, right? Okay, so back to Constantine. One of the things Constantine omitted were the Hebrew feasts. He kind of changed all kinds of things up, and he sort of omitted, omitted them. Now, some believe that Constantine had seen that God's people were blessed as a result of observing the feasts, and as a consequence, perhaps to keep them from getting too much power uh, or too much financial or spiritual or political power, he stopped their adherence to those feasts, um, to God's commands of observing those feasts. Because although he was Christian, he was also a Roman emperor. He was also wanting to, he still wanted people to be under his control. You see that? Most Roman emperors saw themselves as God, <laughs> and they were to be worshipped as far as they were concerned. I don't think he had completely washed free of that mentality. Um, but regardless of his motives, since that time, uh, the convocations or the feasts or rehearsals, if you will, uh, have largely, largely not been practiced, okay? The Roman Catholic Church sprang from these origins and his influence, okay? From Constantine's influence. So now that you understand that, you understand a little better of why just because it's always been that way for hundreds of years doesn't mean it's accurate. So why study or celebrate these feasts today? Matthew 5.17, these are Jesus' words. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. See, the feasts all point to the Messiah in some way. And he came to fulfill them. As you will see, as we study these out, the feast, that is exactly what he did. And those unfulfilled as yet are rehearsals for what is to come. Benningham said, the New Testament is the, test is the fulfillment of the old. Each is incomplete without the other. The new, is the, old, the new in the old is concealed. The old in the new is revealed. I like how he put that. 
He also said the feasts of Israel are graphic object lessons. From the time they were given to the children of Israel, these laws were ever-present visual um, aids or pictures, if you will, to use physical rituals to help them understand spiritual truth and to walk therein. Even though they celebrate Christ's birthday in December, and he was probably born during this time period, what does that do for us when in December? We think about him, right? We also kind of get too carried away with some of the other stuff. But it's a time of year that we focus on the Messiah, right? So that's a good thing because it makes us slow down and remember what is the reason behind the season. And that's what these feasts were intended to do, to slow people down, to give them a chance to celebrate and make it a visual reminder. And what do we do when we decorate our houses? We often have nativity scenes and things that remind us of our faith and Christ and what God did, right? These feasts were that same kind of thing. All right, Leviticus 23, 23 through 25. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, On the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of rest, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. That starts tonight. Do no regular work, uh, but present an offering made to the Lord by fire. So he's saying, I want a special offering on this day. So we're currently in the high holy days, the highest holy days of the whole Jewish calendar right now. Now, Dr. Robert Heidler said, in God's original plan, each feast of trumpets was to begin a new year of peace and health and joy and provision in God's presence. But when sin entered the world, uh, it took us out of that cycle of blessing and put us into a cycle of sin and of death. Well, that's not a cycle we want to be in, right? So God invented a new cycle, the cycle of redemption. This cycle begins seven months prior to this period of time. That's the Passover season, remember? Okay? Uh, when God instituted Passover, he said, this will now be the beginning of months, because that meaning he's changing things. Because of the sin that entered the world, he's changing things. And he's saying that'll be the beginning of months. That's why, you know, this is the seventh month, but it's the head of the year. That's why there's some difference. The cycle of redemption rescues us from the effects of sin, and restores us to God's original plan. Now, the trumpet blast is our signal to switch gears. It's a warning blast. It's a wake-up call to get our lives right with God once again. Now, have any of you ever needed a wake-up call? Uh, a call to alertness. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've known several people who've, had a, uh, who've narrowly missed death. Now, some of them just go back to whatever they were doing and living their life. But for many, it's a pivotal point that changes them because they are aware that they should have died. They could have died. But for some reason, even miraculous reason, they were spared. And so it makes them examine their life and say, what am I doing? And it becomes a wake-up call for them. Um... Now, Dr. Heidler said a wake-up call almost always comes before revival. And he points out that, that before the uh, revival in Argentina in the 90s, they had a serious wake-up call when they were badly defeated in the Falkland Island War. Does 
Remember hearing about that? Well, following that war, their economy collapsed. So the nation was just going downhill fast, and it really began to concern the Christian leaders. So they banded together, put their differences aside, and began to intercede in prayer for their nation. And when they did that, in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit fell. Now sometimes, I thank God for the economy not being so good because it has forced people to take a different look and realize that they're not all that, they can't do this on their own strength, and it has made them focus more on him. And for me, anything that makes us focus more on him is a good thing. Now, God doesn't want us to have to necessarily have disasters or near-death experiences to experience a wake-up call or even a crushing economy. But he'll get your attention one way or another, right? He'd really rather that you just use, let that annual wake-up call be your reminder. It's to stop and take stock. Where am I? Am I where I said I was going to be last year at this time? Right? We do that kind of at our New Year's, don't we? in January, and sometimes we make resolutions, but we start examining our life, right? Where am I? Those are good things to slow down long enough to do that. And that blast of the ram's horn reminds us, how am I living for the Lord? Have I been worshiping him like I'm supposed to? Have I been living for him like I'm supposed to? Uh, this is also from the website by Samuel Beck he said, as a reminder, I thought this was interesting because since I've never been to a synagogue and I've never been to a Rosh Hashanah service, I don't know what goes on there. But he said, as a reminder of divine mercy, the Jews still today, today read in the synagogue on Rosh Hashanah the story of, bind, of the binding of Isaac. Remember when um, Abraham was going to sacrifice him? The Talmud, which is the basic book of Jewish law written by ancient Jewish teachers, says... Why did he blow on a ram's horn? The Holy One, blessed is he, said, Sound before me a ram's horn, so that I may remember on your behalf the binding of Isaac, the son of Abraham, and account it to you as if you had bound yourselves before me. The ram's horn, which was caught in the brushes, became uh, the, the Jew's symbol of God's willingness to remember penitent sinners and to atone for their sins. So it's a rabbinical tradition um, that says the offering of Isaac will someday, um, the offspring of Isaac will someday transgress my will, and I will judge them on Rosh Hashanah. Should they appeal to my leniency, I will recall the binding of Isaac and let them blow then the horn of this ram, which was substituted for Isaac. Isn't that cool? That that's why they blow the Shofar, which is the name of the ram's horn. Okay? And they can be short, and they can be long, and they can be silver-plated and engraved, and you can spend lots and lots of money on them. I think at some point we'll have one. Um, but because that ram was the substitute, that's the blowing. It reminds them. And so that's the story, one of the stories, things they share on Rosh Hashanah. The sound of the trumpets of the shofar was to pierce our, their souls and get their attention. I wanted you to hear the Shafar sound.
wasn't it? Now, can you imagine that? Rosh Hashanah service going off 100 times, something like that. That might have counted as three or four, I don't know. I, I learned that there are four different blasts and ways that they do it. It's pretty cool. So the 10 days after the Feast of Trumpets is called the Days of Awe, Awe and it's also called Teshuvah. If you speak Hebrew, I'm probably butchering this to some degree, and I apologize. Uh, that's the Hebrew word that means to turn or to return. It means repentance, and it's also the word for springtime. And when we hear the trumpet blast, we are to reminded to turn or return to God. Dr. Heidler said, those days of repentance, we enter a season of springtime, and it's a season to experience a fresh release of the life and blessings of God. Now, in this season, we have two solemn ceremonies, Rosh Hashanah, Days of Awe, Day of Atonement. But the Feast of Tabernacles is, is just entering into that glory. It's thanking God. So you start off with solemn celebrations, but you end with a joyous celebration during this time. Dr. Heidler suggested that you do four things during the next 10 days. I thought they were good, so I thought I'd mention them. He said, first, praise him and read his word. The days of awe are set by God when his spirit is ready to meet you in some unusual ways. Can you repent, and should you repent any time of year? Yes. Don't save it up for Rosh Hashanah. But this is the God the time that God himself ordained as that special time of year. And whenever God has his special appointed days, there's special and extra anointings and blessings. So I believe it's a time when if you've been really struggling with something and you can't seem to break free of it, this is the time, this period of time, when you could really get that under the blood and get rid of it and get it out of your life. And I'm sure Renee will talk about that more. A key verse is Jeremiah 29, 12 through 14. Then you will call upon the Lord and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. And isn't that what sin does? carries us into exile, uh, away from God. And so it's that prime time of year when there's extra anointing for you to surrender. James 4.8, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is that season to make sure that you're doing that. The second thing he said is to let God reveal old cycles. Ask him to show you any cycles of destruction in your life. Are you trapped in a recurring sin or pattern? Ask him to show you how you can be set free. How many of you have seen curses in your family line or problems that come down generation after generation after generation? Now the Day of Atonement is a time to break that, and we're going to have Renee teach on that. She's been studying, and I know she wants to share that with you. But this is a time, like I said, to put that under the blood. If you see these recurring patterns, then ask God to show you how to get free of them. Um, third, ask God to reveal any sin in your life. Even if you're serving him, maybe there's some things that 
he wants to fine-tune. Maybe there's some ways he wants you to step it up. Four, draw close to God and let him quicken a new love in your heart for him. Sometimes husbands and wives take each other for granted. And they might say, our love has grown kind of cold or stale, right? What do you have to do? You have to work at making that get refreshed, right? What's that usually take? Time. Time with your neighbor? No. Time with your coworker? No, time with your spouse. Well, guess what? You, wanna, you want to fall in love with God all over again. You want that freshness in your life. Guess who you're going to have to spend more time with? God. And this is that season too. It's that season of repentance, but it's a season where he says, come and spend time with me because I want to bless you. I want to accept that repentance. I want to forgive you. I want you to see the provisions I have placed for you. So this is your time to break out of old habits and old ways of stinking thinking. So when you hear the trumpet blast, you need to shift gears and head straight for God. Now here, we do see the pattern of Christ in these feasts. Passover was a rehearsal. It was a convocation of redemption. Right? Because when they did the, the reason Passover was existed, they took the lamb's blood and put it over the doorposts and the sides. Why? So the angel of death would pass over them. So they would be redeemed from that death, right? Well, that was a foreshadow. It was a rehearsal for when the blood of Jesus came. Now we no longer have to sacrifice animals and use their blood as an atonement for our, our sin, right? Because Jesus came and actually fulfilled that feast, right? So that's already happened. Jesus died and was resurrected during the season of Passover. Remember we talked about that some last week. He gave us the Holy Spirit at, the, uh, at Pentecost or Feast of Weeks, which is 50 days later. Okay? Because he rose again. He, he walked the earth for 40 days, the Bible says, and he appeared to different people. And then he told them to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit, for the gift he was going to send, right? So he walked the earth for 40 days. Ten days after he's gone, it's the Feast of Weeks. It's Pentecost, which means 50. And at that celebration that God had already set in place for hundreds of years, that's when the Holy Spirit comes. That's also looked at as the beginning of the early church. Because what were they doing before that? chewing their nails and hiding in a room, right? They weren't boldly proclaiming Christ. They were afraid they were next. They were confused. They felt abandoned. They, they didn't understand because they thought Jesus was going to rule with them. But when the Holy Spirit came, they started a whole new thing that we're still celebrating today. It's had an impact that's lasted for over 2,000 years. That happened on the middle feast season, right? This, it's the celebration of first fruits, that um, feast of weeks. The gift of the Holy Spirit was certainly a first, wasn't it? They had experienced the Holy Spirit at intervals in the past, but it wasn't like freely given for all and for every day. Um, and many believe that Jesus will 
come again during the tabernacle season, specifically maybe on the Day of Atonement or the Feast of Tabernacles, okay? Sometime in the high holy days, the time when, he, when God had him enter the world, and many believe, and I think it's true, that he may come during this time of year. What year we don't know, what day we don't know, we won't know exactly, but we're also told to not be caught unaware. Now, whenever Jesus comes, are you ready? If he comes during the high holy season, this year or next year or ten years from now, are you ready? If he comes in April, January, February, are you ready? Do you, like Billy Graham, know where you are going? Let the trumpet blast be the only wake-up call you need. I want to play that one more time. This is your reminder to turn or return to him. This is God's special ordained time where you seize the moment. I want us to close in, in prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning, and as you've sat here, that trumpet blast really has been a huge it has reminded you to turn or return to him. If you've never asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life, this is the time. Don't hold back. Surrender all. Is there anyone here this morning, you've never asked Jesus to be Lord of your life, but you want to today. You realize that you have a need for him. Just slip up your hand. there's any here this morning and you realize that I know the Lord but I haven't been walking as tightly with him as I need to and I'm reminded that I need to walk in closer relationship with him if that's you will you raise your hand this morning I see that hand see that hand see that hand see that hand I see that hand and we're just going to pray. And everybody pray collectively so they won't feel like they're sticking out. Dear God, please forgive me of my sins. During this season of repentance, I ask that you would forgive me of all of my sins. Help me to renew my relationship with you Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you, God, for forgiving me. Help me to keep you as my focus. Reveal to me 
things that are hidden in these next few days that you want me to work in. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to invite the music team back up.